Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm excited about today. I'm working on it all morning for you. We've got uh, Joe Dallas coming on in just a minute. He's written a book called Christians in a Cancel Culture. Looking forward to that. Then Scott Harvard from Desiring God is going to be joining me. We're going to talk about holiness, one of my very favorite topics. And then hour two is going to be doubly packed with awesome stuff. Carmen LeBurge and Susie Larson will join me at five o'clock because we just want to love on our listeners for 30 minutes. That's going to be a lot of fun. And my friend Jim Burns has written a book called Have Serious Fun. So that is what the program is today. I can hardly wait. I've been in Psalms all summer, and Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2 says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. I love that. Anyway... Our first guest is Joe Dallas. He's an author, speaker, and counselor who speaks all around the country. He's the founder of Genesis Biblical Solutions in Tustin, California. He's written many books on human sexuality from a Christian perspective. His new book is called Christians in a Cancel Culture. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Your book is intriguing, and I'm, I'm fascinated with you, so I'd love to learn a little bit about you. Yeah, the the book is really an outgrowth of where I've been. Uh, like you said, I'm just a little old counselor. I didn't start off to uh, take on something as controversial <laughs> as cancel culture. Yeah, you stepped uh, into about, it. Yeah, I did, you know, accidentally. Uh, I, I started about 34 years ago a ministry here in Southern California uh, just to offer some biblical counseling to Christian men who are dealing with different sexual issues. Uh, maybe a problem with pornography or adultery mm-hmm. or homosexuality or some kind of sexual behavior outside God's will, and uh, they're coming for help. Well, that that's, doesn't seem like it should be so controversial, but I found that as the years went by, uh, ministries like mine were getting more and more pushback from the culture, mm-hmm. more and more people in academia, in the media, in the entertainment industry were saying, oh, that is so wrong. Uh, the biblical viewpoint that you espouse is so wrong, and it's so damaging, and you need to be stopped. And then more and more, I was kind of feeling like Nehemiah's guys, okay? You know, they're they're basically there to rebuild, but then they had to start um, holding a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other, because mm. there were so many people trying to dismantle or come against what they were trying to rebuild. And finally, in the last few years, uh Oh, I got to say, especially last year, Bill, I mean, it seems like we lost our collective minds in 2020 uh, between COVID and the rioting and the demonstrations. There was this wave of intolerance for traditional viewpoints on sexuality, marriage, abortion, racism, progressive Christianity. And more and more believers were feeling like, wow, it's almost getting dangerous to say where you stand on these issues. And it became clearer to me that we got a couple of things happening. We've got, on the one hand, believers who know where they stand. They know the biblical position on these things. But what they don't know is 
when to stand, when should you speak up, mm-hmm. how to stand, how should you say what you want to say, what can you expect to happen when you do take a stand, and which hills are, are hills that you die on, and which ones are ones that you just go, oh, whatever, we can agree to disagree. That's why I wrote the book Christians in a Cancel Culture, because we're in the middle of a crusade, Bill. I mean, this crusade is out to convert the infidels, and in this case, the infidels are those of us who hold traditional views on these key issues. And the crusade, which I would call cancel culture, it's a crusade, it's basically saying you guys have got to be converted or you guys have got to be silenced. Hmm. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of people are feeling that. I mean, we've got Christian parents who have a daughter come home from college and say, Mom, Dad, I've come to realize that you're a couple of bigots. Have you repented yet? Hmm. Or a son who comes home and says, Mom, Dad, I'm going to transition into being a woman, and I demand that you come into agreement with that decision, or I won't have anything to do with you. And so a lot of Christians are feeling like, wow, this is really hitting home. How do I have a conversation? That's what I wanted to do, was write a book to help people be equipped to have these conversations, because like it or not, we're going to have them. We really will. Yeah. Joe, you say in the book, and I appreciate this, you said this was written with a more personal goal in mind, that of equipping believers to provide reasonable answers and have effective dialogue with family members, close friends, and associates who take issue with their belief system. And at Faith Radio here, we have the highest view of Jesus, the highest view of Scripture, and we are without compromise. Well, this is critical. I mean, this is a time for more clarity than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, it's a time we're also seeing more compromise than ever. I think a lot of believers are intimidated. That's one problem. But I, I think, Bill, a lot of believers also have a mistaken notion of what our job description is. Uh, is, it, is it really our job description to make sure that nobody finds us offensive, nobody feels uncomfortable with what we teach, uh, where we have to basically dance for everybody else's tune, or are we ambassadors? Because, you know, if we're ambassadors, that means somebody sent us. And that means if we are ambassadors who were sent, our primary responsibility is to the person who sent us. I mean, for sure, we want to get along with people. We want to be good neighbors and good friends. We, we hope to have respectful relationships with people. And we don't want to be jerks. But at the end of the day, it matters less how we are received and more how faithful we are to the person who sent us and the message he sent us with. That's what matters. Yeah, Joe, I was scribbling down some notes for this uh, interview, and I wrote down something I I believe you said, whenever truth is told, someone is inconvenienced. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, we, we see that in the Gospels, don't we? There are a lot of things Jesus taught that were inconvenient, uh, were inconvenient. Offensive. To people, yeah, and, and not because he was trying to be offensive. No. I mean, God forbid we should be just so deliberately offensive for the sake of being offensive. That's, that's kind of sick. But the fact is, if we are clear, you bet you there are people who are going to be inconvenienced by what we say, because there are movements that are trying to legitimize and, and push even many things that are blatantly unbiblical, that go against what I call created intent, our creator's intention for the human experience. We cannot with any kind of good conscience or integrity, say that we go along with these new redefinitions and these new concepts. And so we are having to basically say no. 
it's sort of like what Peter said, hey, whether it's right to obey you or God, you know, judge for yourselves, but on my part, we're not going to but speak the things that we've seen and heard. We have to. And in the course of doing that, yes, Mm -hmm. there will be people who are offended and inconvenienced because, face it, Christianity is an inconvenience to people who have certain types of agenda and at the risk of sounding political, which I don't mean to, um, Christianity, when it is lived out in a robust way, in a healthy way, it is not friendly to big government. It is not friendly to any system of government that wants to control people, that wants to tell people what they may say or where their primary allegiances should be, which is one of the reasons, of course, as we speak, we have brothers and sisters that are being ruthlessly hunted down in Afghanistan Mm -hmm. because they hold to beliefs that tell them their fidelity is ultimately to Jehovah God, not to any government, not to the Taliban, not to any particular human leader. So anybody who wants control over people is going to find Christianity to be very inconvenient, because although Christianity teaches us to be good citizens, it teaches us also this kingdom that we're in now, uh, it's not his kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world. Our allegiance is not to this world, and it's not to any sovereign in this world. Our allegiance ultimately is to God only. Mm-hmm. Joe Dallas is my guest. He's written a book called Christians in a Cancel Culture. Joe, when I think of the, let's just call it the road of life, and the fact we're on it right now, because you and I are, are both alive, let's see. On the guardrail to the right is the word truth, and on the guardrail to the left is the word grace. So how do we balance those two so the cars don't go off the road? Yeah, we've got to get past the idea that those two are somehow contradictory, that they're mutually exclusive, because, of course, they are not. All my life, I believed they were, Bill. I mean, I've always thought, okay, do you want me to be nice to you, or do you want me to tell you the truth? I can't possibly do both, you know, and that's, that's not true. Uh, John said that Jesus was, is full of grace and truth. He also said that if you say you abide in him, you ought to walk as he walked, full of grace and truth. Look, I can respect someone, love them, show them affection and kindness. And still, as the situation demands or the opportunity allows, I can still speak truth, even if that truth is something they don't want to hear. And I will not sacrifice grace in doing so. The fact is, if there is no truth, there is no grace, because Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 says love rejoices in the truth. Mm-hmm. So something I say, I know it sounds like a bumper sticker, but I really believe it, is uh, clarity is charity. Yeah, Clarity is charity. Uh, where there is real grace, there will be truth. Now, where there is Christ-like approach, a Christ-like approach to speaking the truth, we'll speak it with empathy. I mean, let me make this personal just for a minute, okay? No, please. When I was 16 years old, a young woman who I was dating was witnessing to me. Uh, she was a recent uh, convert to Christianity. She was on fire for the Lord. I was pretty openly gay. I, I had told her, I'm a gay man. We can go out and have a good time, but I'm attracted to men. This is where I'm at. She openly witnessed to me about the claims of Jesus Christ and about the requirements, what he would require of me. If I were to follow him and she she was as kind and loving and gentle as could be, the last thing I would have needed would be for somebody to say, oh, you know, that's disgusting. You're you're an abomination in God's sight and you make me sick or or even to talk down to me. I mean, these days, most people don't talk like that, but there's still kind of the sense of, oh, well, that's one of the worst things you could be or one of the greatest things you could commit. There's, there is empathy and, and consideration when people speak the truth that they're doing it in a Christ-like way. But 
Nobody is uh, converted to the truth if the truth isn't made clear. You know, we, we can't see people converted to truth if we are not speaking truth clearly. And, you know, Bill, you look at the book of Acts, listen to the way those guys preached. Paul, Peter, um, Philip, you know, Stephen, my gosh, you might not have liked what those guys said, but darn it, you'd have known what they said. You would never have walked away from those sermons and thought, gee, I wonder where he stands. <laughs> that's you know? so true. That's why I say clarity is charity. We need the, the church to really recommit herself to clarity, clarity on the basics, because what I see uh, looking through the book of Acts is urgency. There was a sense of urgency there. You know, people, in, in the eyes of the early believers, people were dead or alive. They were saved or unsaved. And the critical message was, there is a way to life, and I want you to know what it is. That's what we need more of today. Yeah. Joe, if clarity is charity is not a bumper sticker on your car, I'm going to put a patent pending on it right now and send you 10%. Oh, that's big of you. Well, 8%, 8%. <laughs> yeah, For change. my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're, you're quite a deal broker, I tell you. <laughs> Joe Dallas is my guest. His book is Christians in a Cancel Culture, Speaking the Truth and Grace in a Hostile World. We'll be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com. meeting Joe Dallas for the first time. He's on the program. His new book is Christians in a Cancel Culture, Speaking the Truth and Grace in a Hostile World. During the break, Joe, I was thinking of, uh, boy, you go into the doctor and the doctor says, boy, you've got some skin cancer here. Let me give you some Flintstone vitamins. It wouldn't be a good doctor. <laughs> no. And can you imagine that doctor saying, oh, gosh, I don't want to tell this man what he doesn't want to hear because him liking me is more important than me doing my job. I could what kind of doctor would that be? I could seriously ruin his day if I tell him the truth. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so basically, I will allow him to go untreated. I will um, basically tell him that uh, what is unhealthy is healthy, just so that I can still be on good terms with him. I mean, n- nobody would would call that anything less than malpractice. But what are we? As, as ministers of truth, if we are uh, basically uh, afraid to give people the full counsel of God, why, uh, I remember Paul told the Ephesian elders, look, I, my, uh, I am free of the blood of any man because I did give you the full counsel of God. Now that tells me conversely, you are guilty and you have blood on your hands if you did not give people the full counsel of God. Mm-hmm. And I'm not making fun of Flintstone Vitamins. They grew me into the big, strong man I am today. <laughs> One of my favorite cartoons when I was a kid. That dates me, but it really was. I uh, know. I loved it, too. So um, you talk about cancel culture as a virus. Why? 
because it's something that spreads. You know, a lot of movements are more centralized. They've got key leaders, and the orders come down from headquarters and so forth. This is a little different. This is something that people are catching all over the place, kind of like COVID. It's hard to even know where you got it because it's everywhere. Mm. Well, I think the same is true of cancel culture. It teaches beliefs that people are susceptible to for a couple of reasons, Bill. One, I think that within the church, um, now let me backtrack a little. We have some fine, so many fine churches, so many responsible, gifted ministers who are feeding the flock faithfully. I don't want to, for a minute, suggest that the whole church is in error and needs to repent. But we do have a very broad problem of biblical ignorance. And where you have biblical ignorance, you're going to basically have the immune system broken down. Hmm. Because when people are biblically grounded, they are not susceptible to errors. When they are not biblically grounded, they are susceptible to those errors, and and so their immune system is broken down, they catch the virus. That's one reason that people, I think, are susceptible. And another is people want a cause to believe in. They really do. So even among non-believers, there's a desire to be part of something noble, to fight the oppressor. Mm-hmm. and to defend the oppressed. Yeah. And I think people are giving them that with cancel culture. Joe, you write in your book, uh, Christians in a Cancel Culture, that we ignore history's lessons to our peril. What do you mean? Even in recent history, we have uh, what I would say relatively recent history. We have the monstrosity we call the Holocaust. Now, I know we shouldn't pull that out too easily because it's kind of become cliche. Anytime we think something is evil, we go, oh, Hitler's Germany. But, you know, the fact is the German people were, via a carefully crafted propaganda machine, they were convinced that a certain group was dangerous and lethal. And because they were such evil creatures, the Jewish population, they should not be afforded the same civility and basically the same rights as other people. And when you have taught people that, then you are able, uh, with impunity, to openly persecute them. Um, Now, I do not think we should be quick to cry persecution, and I don't think that we should be too quick to compare ourselves to other victims. But here's the problem, Bill. If we allow ourselves to be marginalized the way the Nazi machine marginalized the Jewish population. If we allow ourselves to be intimidated into silence, then we are not going to be able to do what we've been commissioned to do. Our main commission here has to do with expression. We need to preach the gospel. We need to make disciples. Man, you cannot do that if you cannot speak. And you cannot speak redemptively if you cannot speak from the whole Word of God. Mm -hmm. So for those reasons, I think we do have to resist these efforts to silence the Christian voice. Yeah. Joe, let me read something from Galatians, and I would like you to respond. I I love these couple of verses. I'm astonished that you so quickly are deserting the one who has called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. You know, just last week I was reading an article by a minister in a denomination, which I believe has gone apostate. I really do. 
And um, this particular minister was talking about how she would never again quote the words of the Great Commission, because those those words, the commandment to preach the gospel, were uh, essentially racist, and they were essentially um, words that led to totalitarianism and to a narrow view of God. And I thought, lady, you are fulfilling what Paul said. Another gospel is being preached. Now, progressive Christianity, which I talk about in my book, is really no Christianity at all, but it is a revision of Christianity dressed up like Christianity with religious jargon similar to Christianity. But when you look at what it actually teaches, it denies the um, uh, exclusivity of Christ, and that it says there are many ways to God, just not just through Jesus, and thereby denies the necessity of the cross and denies the existence of hell. Well, for heaven's sake, that is something. It's not Christianity, but it is some kind of a belief system. And uh, this, I think, is a particularly insidious movement because it is infiltrating the church more and more. I think, again, Bill, because we mistakenly think that niceness and love are necessarily the same thing. And they are not. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know, Joe, when I, I think about the cross and the fact that my sin uh, sent Jesus to the cross, your sin sent Jesus to the cross, it's troubling when there are churches today that are um, trying to diminish sin because they don't want people to feel bad about themselves. You see, and that's the point. Jesus himself said, well, the people who are healthy don't need a physician. So what are we basically doing? We are at odds with what Jesus came to do. He came to help us to understand that, yes, we are valuable, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten Son. But why? So that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What's he saying? You're perishing. (laughs) You know, the gospel is very affirming in that it affirms our value in God's sight. But it ain't no compliment, is it? I mean, it it says, in essence, on your own, you cannot make it into God's presence. The cross was necessary. And if you think about it, Jesus himself prayed, if there's any other way, let me out of this. Well, obviously, there was no other way. And uh, so it's it's very denigrating to the sacrifice he made on the cross to suggest that the cross was not necessary. It clearly was. Mm-hmm. And as we have dialogue with friends and, and co-workers and neighbors and everybody else, I love the way you close your book. You say that God is not mocked and we are still more than conquerors. And our hope continues to be built on nothing less uh, because as long as the people of God are ready to speak the Word of God, and as long as the Spirit of God is ready to confirm the Word of God, then the people of God never need to fear that the Word of God will be silenced. Exactly. I mean, look, we have to rethink what we are rejoicing in, Bill. Um, If if I am—now, let me, again, full disclosure. I have very strong political views— I have my idea of who should be in the White House, of who should be in Congress, of who should be the governor. I I really do, and I care very much about that. However, my hope and joy cannot be founded 
on on uh, who is in political power or whether or not the the culture I'm in is amenable to Christianity or whether or not people mm-hmm. around me are living righteously. I got to be figuring I'm running a race. While I'm running this race, I got to keep my eyes on the prize. I am commissioned to fulfill my course. Amen. Joe, and thank I you. have to find my joy in that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the program. My pleasure. For, yeah. Joe Dallas has been my guest. Christians in a Cancel Culture is the name of his book. We'll take a short break and be back with Scott Hubbard. Continue to grow in your faith when you join us for our summer devotional video series by watching past and upcoming short videos from past show guests like Jeff Dorn, Alan Jackson, Bev Canaris, Arlene Pelican, Chris Martin, Dr. Jill Carnahan, Neil Stavum, Robert Morgan, and Alan Wright. Find out and share these videos online at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back. I've got Scott Hubbard. He is a writer and editor at DesiringGod.org. He's part of this crew of amazing writers that I've learned to know and love from Desiring God. It all started... Uh, with the Blooms, John and Pam Bloom. And then yeah. all of a sudden I started to meet others and I just love your heart and your teaching and all the things you do in the writing. It's all so good. Scott, welcome back. Well, yeah, it's good to be back with you, Bill. We appreciate what you guys do here too. Yeah. Were you on vacation or something? Oh, I did. Yeah. Where'd my, you go? My wife and I went to Indianapolis to visit her family. So a okay. bunch of siblings out there and cousins for our, our son and then uh, my mother and father. Yeah, Indianapolis, right? Yeah. Did you lay on the beach? What'd you do? <laughs> More like lay on the Indy 500 <laughs> racetrack, maybe. <laughs> lay on the pavement? Yeah, yeah. that's right. No, that's a- you know, just, just good family stuff. Did hiking and hanging out at parks and yeah. good meals. It was good. Good. Yeah. When you say good meals, tell me one good meal. What'd you have? You know, I so I'm can... already hungry. I missed lunch, so I'm starving. <laughs> so just tease me. There, there was, you know, you can't go wrong with tacos, I don't think. I don't think you so can. So that, yeah. was, that was a good meal. Good. I love that. All right, Scott, I'm going to ask you about um, holiness today. It's a topic that you wanted to talk about, and I yeah. think it's a topic we don't talk about enough. Yeah, and I know that we were on here a few months ago, I think, talking about holiness. I have and no recollection t- of that. <laughs> So maybe it's just you forget when we talk uh, maybe, about it. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm so excited we're talking about holiness. I guess we've already talked about it. Yeah, it, it is a topic. I agree. We don't talk about it enough. And then strangely, strangely though, one of the things that my article that inspired my wanting to talk about this again is one of the pitfalls that we can fall into when we do talk about holiness. And so that's kind of a, a little bit of a curveball because you're right. There, there could be more talk about holiness, but it needs to be the right kind of talk. Yeah. Well, now you've got me very curious. What are the, what is the pitfall we get into when we talk about holiness? The pitfall that comes to my mind and this really came, came home to me, oh, maybe a little over a year ago. And I can share more about that at some point soon, but to just summarize the pitfall is to be preoccupied with the idea of holiness, with the abstract idea of becoming perhaps a more patient person, a more loving person, a more humble person, a more gentle person, thinking about all these Christian virtues that we want to embody and ending up thinking about them and pursuing them 
apart from a fascinated focus on Jesus himself. Hmm. So becoming more preoccupied with the practices of the Christian life than with the person of the Christian life and removing holiness from its relational context as the outworking of our communion with Jesus Mm -hmm. and making it instead more of a, well, it can become a kind of self-improvement project. uh, But even if it's not to that extent, just removing it from the relationship. Scott Hubbard is my guest, uh, editor and writer at DesiringGod.org. We're talking about holiness. So Scott, uh, fill in this blank. I feel less holy when I dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you saying fill it in for myself? Y- yes, just... <laughs> I fill it in for you. Or do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah, you, sure. You go I first. I feel less think. holy when I have horrible thoughts about people in other cars. <laughs> I shouldn't, shouldn't laugh because that's serious. Yeah. I, uh, I feel less holy when I go the whole afternoon without thinking about God once mm, okay. or without praying. Mm-hmm having a self-sufficient heart or attitude or when I uh, find myself 30 seconds down a trail of thought that is uh, wrapped up with judging another person and being critical of that person without giving any kind of benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on. but those Please are, do. <laughs> I, Just one I, more. I feel less holy when I'm at home and I uh, choose to uh, read a book or do something personally refreshing or restful when I ought to be serving my family. Mm. And I, and I know it's the choice between those two and it's a, it's a selfish choice. Mm -hmm. Yes. Isn't selfishness just at the core of everything? It is. uh, Mm -hmm. I I think how you define it. uh, But yeah, absolutely. A preference for self over God, over others is right at the root. Yes. Scott, would, would it be easier if there was a holiness equation we could just sort of plug things into? Yeah, I sure think so. And that's the kind of mechanical, computational mindset that I'm trying to get at. So I think we can often treat the Christian life as uh, basically a kind of equation where if you just think, if I read my Bible for this long, for this many days a week, if I pray for this long, maybe in this way, uh, this many days a week, then I will be holy. It's kind of, you know, Put in the coin, get out the product. Put in the <laughs> put in the time and reading and prayer, and you know you could, if you want to be extra holy, you can add in some other stuff like being part of a small group and and fasting and giving your money and those kinds of things. And if I just do all of these things, then holiness will be the result. And that sure sounds uh, attractive in one way. That would be controllable and mm-hmm. predictable, but it is not the way of the New Testament. Yeah, let's talk about Christ Christ like holiness. Christ-like holiness? Yes, yes. You can talk about Christless holiness, but let's talk about Christ-like holiness as well. Yeah, Christ-like holiness I would describe as the holiness that flows out of a living and vibrant worship of Jesus and okay. communion with Jesus himself. And so it's more of the holiness, you know, like when you are, uh, or this is just a far down the stream analogy, but when you are in a relationship, a deep relationship of um, rich fellowship with somebody that can change your character, change the way you are living in a way that is far different from if you just put, you know, wrote down on a piece of paper, uh, here's the kind of person I want to be. And now I'm going to try, go out and try to do it. There's something about 
relationship that God intended to, to change us. And that, that's true on a human-to-human level, and then supremely so when it comes to relationship with Him. And so Christ-like holiness is the kind of character change, the kind of uh, becoming like Jesus that comes from being so close to Him that mm-hmm. we can't do otherwise. Yeah. How do we use the word holy in our everyday language when we want to become holy? Holiness is our goal, but you really can't bring up a casual conversation, can you? How are you doing today, Scott? I'm working on my holiness. <laughs> Probably get punched. Well, I, I'd be interested to hear just what, um, you know, knee, knee-jerk reaction, what, what do you think that is? Like, it's a too... It's a too religious word. It feels too like like as soon as you bring up holiness, you're being holier than thou. Or, holier than thou. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's an intimidating kind of concept and, and like a pretentious. It's setting sort of yourself thing. apart in a way that's I'm better than you. Yeah. It can sound that way. Okay, sure. Does anybody listening have a better definition? Because Scott and I are looking at each other going, We could use some help here, right? <laughs> you know, how would you how would you describe holiness? Let me know. 877-933-2484. Send a text over. I'd love to see your response. So let's talk about Christless holiness. What is that? I would define or describe Christless holiness as another word for it would be self-sanctification mm. or an effort to improve yourself, to uh, put on or embody Christian virtue without having Jesus at the very center of that process and pursuit. So you can see something like that in Colossians chapter 2, where Paul is talking about these folks who, on the outside, they look pretty holy in the way that, you know, you perhaps were describing it just a moment ago in that more holier-than-thou kind of way. But you look at them, they seem spiritual, they seem religious. They're, They're saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, you know, oh, man, those guys aren't even eating that kind of food or drinking that kind of drink or doing that kind of thing. And man, they must be really holy. And Paul looks at them and he says, all of those things that they are doing are of zero value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh because they are not attached. He's using this body metaphor. He's saying those people are not attached to the head it's like, it's like a, a hand trying to be healthy while it's severed from the rest of the body or from the head, which is Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Let me take you back to an uncomfortable conversation you had with someone. Okay. <laughs> May I? Yeah, please. Tell me, Scott, how many books have you read about holiness in the Christian life? Yeah. And so I frame it in the article as if it could be a conversation. It really was actually a book mm-hmm. that I was reading and yet... It was very warm and, and relational the way it was written, so it sure could have been. And the book I was reading, it was Gosh. actually, strangely, in a footnote of this book, so, mm-hmm. you know, where you wouldn't expect uh, personal conviction of sin necessarily. But he, yeah, just brought the question to mind, how many books you read about holiness in the Christian life? And man, I've read a lot of books in that kind of category about all sorts of stuff. And then the question comes, how many books have you read about Jesus himself? Just just about who he is and what he's done. And (laughs) the answer for me is not as many. And of course, the the question is, um, if you're reading books about holiness in the Christian life, they're going to, if they're good books at all, they're going to say something about Jesus. They're going to be talking about Jesus. But it's still a question that arrested me and made me think, wow, 
why don't I just pick up a book that's just about who Jesus is? Like what he said, what he did, that's just focused on the person himself. Like don't I, when I was in love, you know, in the dating and courtship, I'm still in love with my wife. But in that season of infatuation, did I, uh, did it, what, did it feel like a burden or a chore to just learn about her? No, it didn't. <laughs> and uh, did I, was I focused more on the, the mechanics and dynamics of, oh, this is how you, uh, this is how you open the door for her and this is how you start conversation? No, I mean, that was part of it, but mostly it was just getting to know her. And there's a parallel out to the, there to the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Scott says in his article, the only people who can truly kill their sin are those who are preoccupied with Jesus. Yeah, that's right. And that's where Paul goes in Colossians 3. So right after talking about those people who, who are doing stuff that's of zero value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, where does Paul turn? He turns to the Christian pursuit of holiness, which begins front and center with our union with Jesus. So he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And he talks about how we have been raised with him and are seated with Christ in the heavenly places and how our glory is wrapped up in him. And so he just puts the Christian life, he locates the center and hub and atmosphere of the Christian life all around Jesus, you're united to him, you're raised with him, you are in him, that is who you are, and everything about your life flows from that. Not only just at the start, but every day, because only then in Colossians, after talking about that union with Jesus, does he get specific about putting sin to death and about putting specific Christian virtues to life. Mm. So you talk about the devastating assessment all of their discipline and self-control is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Yeah. And one of the questions is, well, how can that be so? Because on the outside, people who are in the position that Paul is describing here in Colossians 2, often very self-disciplined, you know, these are pharisaical kinds of people. And you look at them and you think, what do you mean no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh? These people are not doing all kinds of things that other people who seem to be in thrall to their flesh are doing. And of course, Jesus exposed that illusion uh, when it came to the Pharisees, didn't he? You know, he looks at these people who on the outside look so pristine, so holy, and he says, yeah, inside are the bones of dead men. Wow. And so there's a way to clean yourself up on the outside, and in fact, to stop doing some kind of outer obvious sin and just to replace it with a sin on the inside. So to stop looking at pornography and become proud about it. There's a way to do that. There's a way to stop looking at pornography without Jesus and by the brute force of your iron will. And then you just replace it with something different on the inside, a different kind of sin. So apart from Jesus, we're not killing sin. We're just kind of shifting the pieces around and moving something from outside into the inside. But with Jesus, sin actually dies. He actually takes a sword in hand and starts hacking away at the things that need to be hacked at. Mm -hmm. Galatians 2.20. That's right. Yeah, we've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. Yeah. Yeah, we died. Our sins died. Yeah. Our sinful nature died. That's right. Yeah. It requires a crucifixion, not just uh, self-control. Yes. Scott Hubbard's my guest. He's written an article called Holiness Begins in Intimacy with Jesus. It's at the desiringgod.org web. He is an author, a writer, editor, and we're just uh, delighted to have him as a guest today. He's right here with me in studio. 
We'll take a short break and have lots more with Scott in just a minute. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Scott Hubbard over at DesiringGod.org. He's a writer, editor, and we're talking about holiness. And Scott, let's talk about the ways we can talk about the Christian life. Yeah, so we have talked about already the ways that we talk about holiness and the ways that we can subtly or not so subtly remove it from uh, uh, an explicit focus on Jesus himself, who is the Holy One and in whom only are we holy. But there are also just, this is a just a more pervasive problem, I think, or tendency in many of us, I won't say all of us necessarily, but in many, I see it in myself, with the Christian life in general, where there's a, there's a temptation to live the Christian life uh, more or less without Christ, to make it, like I've mentioned before, more about a set of practices than about a person. And there's a way that we talk that shows that we're, we're, we're falling into this tendency or drifting this direction. And there's a quote I read recently from an old Christian, 19th century. His name's J.C. Ryle. He's just great. I know J.C. Ryle. You know J.C. Yeah, Ryle? Well, sure. Yeah, he wrote a book called Holiness, actually. I have that book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is in there. It's uh, a chapter on the story of Jesus ruling the waves. And toward the end, he says, I fear the personality of our Lord is sadly lost sight of by many professors in the present day. Professors just meaning Christians or people, people who identify as, as Christians. Professing Christians. Yeah, Professors right. of the faith. Yeah. Yep. He says, their talk is more about salvation than about the Savior, more about redemption than about the Redeemer, more about justification than about Jesus, more about Christ's work than about Christ's person. This is a great fault and one that fully accounts for the dry and sapless character of the religion of many professors. And that just struck me because I think that is so true. What is the conversation that often fills our Christian circles? They're, even in our, in our small groups and such. Uh, if I look back, often my tendency, and, and I can remember lots of conversations talking about salvation, redemption, justification, sanctification, holiness, these uh, that talk about the means of grace or the spiritual disciplines, those kinds of things. Talk about what's going on at church. What's uh, and, and in it all, it can slowly get lost. Let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> like, uh, what have you seen of him lately? What, what's what's been good about him lately? What's um, uh, and this also came home to me recently when I was just reading the very beginning of Romans, reading through with my church, just a New Testament reading plan. And Romans, of course, is so filled with the gospel, with what the gospel is. And right there at the very beginning of the book in 
verse 3 of chapter 1. Paul is talking about he's an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. And the first way he describes the gospel is he says, it is concerning God's son. Concerning God's son. Like the gospel, at the heart of the gospel is a message concerning Jesus. (laughs) And there are ways to talk about the gospel where you don't actually mention Jesus where you talk about uh, the gospel is about the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is about um, not going to hell and going to heaven. The gospel is about uh, having, having new life and a fresh start. And all of those are true. But at the very hub and center of the gospel, the very first place that Paul goes is to say, yes, but in order for any of those things to be so, the gospel has to be concerning his son, concerning Christ. Mm-hmm. I think of Acts 4.12, salvation is to be found in him alone. In all the world, there's no other name by which you can be saved. Yeah, that's right. So why don't we talk about that name all the time? Yeah, I think, I think part of it for me is that um, there would be more to confess to others when I'm talking with them of just about um, my my need and lack because it is all those all those other things are kind of you can keep them at at arm's distance from you. And you can talk about spiritual disciplines. You can talk about church life in a way that's somewhat removed. But if I'm, if we're going to talk about, uh, communion with Christ, fellowship with Christ, uh, if we're going to, if we're going to enjoy him together and that, that is going to all of a sudden come and confront my, uh, my tendency to, to focus on other stuff. And, and I'm going to realize and have to come face to face with more frequently. Oh man, I, I need help seeing Jesus. I, I haven't, I've haven't been communing with him. I, I've haven't prized him more than this sin or that tendency lately. I think that's one thing, but then another is just, there is something uncontrollable about the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, I and agree. Relationship with him. And it, some, I think it can feel more comfortable just to talk about things that are more, you know, defined, more, under our control. Uh, Good point, Scott. Scott Hubbard's my guest. One of the responses I have when I start to just get alone and think about Jesus is tears. Mm. I start to weep. Mm. Do I need professional help? (laughs) I hope you don't. I, I wish, I wish I could say the same more frequently of me. That's a, that sounds like a wonderful thing. I'm just overwhelmed with love for what he did. Well, wonderful. That is, praise God for that, because that should be the M.O. of the redeemed heart, those of us who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to make much of Jesus to us and show us his glory. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Scott, when you talk about our, our life is hidden in Christ, um, and to, to live out our holiness here, we must seek the things that are above where Christ is. Yeah. Those are great, great thought. As we start to wrap things up, um, I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that. About seeking the things that are above? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the ways that, so just getting really practical, perhaps so far some of this has, has sounded more abstract. And in one way, it can seem almost like parsing theological hairs, like focusing, the difference between focusing on the practices of the Christian life versus the person of the Christian life. One way it comes, puts feet on the ground for me, is when it relates to the means of grace or the spiritual disciplines that God has given us um, to enjoy Him and to grow, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So, talking about Bible reading, praying, gathering with God's people for worship, 
uh, fasting and the rest. We could name more. And there can be a way, again, with these to think about them in a less than personal, less than relational way. What are you doing when you wake up in the morning or whenever and you go and open your Bible? What are you doing? Are you reading a chapter of the Gospel of Luke? Are you uh, then after that? Are you are you turning to to pray and and intercede for other people? Those things are true, but there's something more fundamental, something more central about what we are doing in the means of grace or the spiritual disciplines, and that is we are we are communing with God. We are coming as people before the person of the mm. universe. So. You know, we talk about personal Bible reading and just a kind of helpful way to think is, yes, this is personal. It is about a person. <laughs> our Bible reading, our praying, our gathering to hear, these, these are about meeting and enjoying and worshiping God himself. Okay, Scott, hold on here. You, are you telling me that the God, the creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is listening to us in the morning <laughs> as we talk to him? <laughs> I sure hope so, because there's no other reason to be doing, you know, <laughs> to be praying if we're not actually meeting with him. Right, exactly. You know, like what's the... It's overwhelming, isn't it, to think about? It is, yeah. it is. And how, I mean, think about how that reframes what, we, <laughs> what we're doing. There's a, uh, there's a quote from Robert Murray McShane that I love. He says that, um, this was actually just in a journal entry, so he probably didn't intend... For people to, for me to be saying it right now necessarily, but I will. He just he says, I, I rose early to seek him whom my soul loves. I met him. Why would everyone not rise early to seek such company? Wow. I love it. Like, you know, we think about rising early to read our Bibles. How about thinking about rising early to meet the company? of the most glorious person in the universe. That reframes what we're doing in the morning. Mm -hmm. And it may just be the difference between hit and snooze again or right. getting out of bed. A couple of nice definitions from uh, text that came in. Uh, Nancy says, I understand holy as absolute, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresence, and sinless perfection, something we can never be apart from Jesus. Mm. Lovely. And Joseph yeah. said, uh, to describe holy, simply put, imitator of Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Scott, thanks for being here. It's been a delight. As always, Yeah, you do good radio. I appreciate you very much. Very glad to be here. Scott Harper's been my guest. He's written an article at DesiringGod.org. You can go check it out. Holiness begins in intimacy with Jesus. Take a little break. When we come back, I got a special treat for you coming up. You might recognize these two names, Carmen LeBurge and Susie Larson. They're joining me for a little love fest starting in a couple of minutes. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.